man, do we have a good one for you today. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the QAD Customer Podcast. I got to say, guys, I am really, really excited about this two-part series that we're doing. Um, this episode is part of a series of podcasts that we're doing uh, interviews with QAD users. Our podcast is presented by PixDocLive, a longtime partner of QAD providing automation software for the back office. Make sure you check out the webinar series they're putting together on doclivewebinar.com. As I mentioned, super, super excited about this two-part series that we're bringing you guys. Uh, I am gonna be interviewing Cascade Engineering's founder, Fred Keller. He's an incredible entrepreneur in the QAD space. His career is impressive to say the least. Uh, I'm so excited to bring you this two-part series. Um, learn how one man started a business in a garage and grew it to a $350 million global manufacturing enterprise. Cascade Engineering is a longtime user of QAD and has effectively utilized process to scale their business. This two-part series will cover everything from green manufacturing to entrepreneurship, from a small business to medium to large enterprise and to corporate culture. There's a whole lot of jam-packed into these uh, two episodes. Make sure you tune in for part two next week. There are two key concepts that I'm going to ask Fred about here to help digest exactly how to use business to serve people. The first is going to be around how to retain an entrepreneur in a corporation and how Fred's thought about that and has been able to bring leaders into his organization and grow them over 40 years of business together. How he's also, how he says, graduated other individuals out of Cascade. And I'm looking forward to you all hearing how he thinks about retaining people and especially leaders and entrepreneurs and growing them in his business. How do you hold, how did you hold that tension of, you know, building your business? You know, it's uh, obviously growing from six to 1600 or 1800 <laughs> took a lot of reordering, a lot of hierarchy. You know, how do you retain those entrepreneurial leaders that you were, you know, back then? and kind of give them a future for what you see happening in your, at the at Cascade? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think the, uh, you know, there's what you, I think what you do find out as an entrepreneur is that not everybody um, uh, wants to be an entrepreneur. It, 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 many people do and, and not, not everybody does. And um, so you, you the, the, and the, there, are, there are those who want to be entrepreneurs, but want to be within a uh, within a business structure. Hmm. So I think it's it's a matter of meeting people where they are, and uh, figuring out, um, uh, you know, how what you want to get accomplished as a business, what needs to be accomplished as a business, and what their what their objectives are, and trying to align them. Um, and we, we have. Uh, uh, you have the wonderful successes of people who have been with you. I've had people with me for 40 years. 
Um, and I have I have people that have been uh, been with us for for just a few years and have I call it graduated. Uh, they they found something that they really enjoy doing. Uh, an example being Mindy Asasi. Mindy uh, was with me for about I think six years. Uh, young uh, aspiring um, leader that uh, wanted to move on, and she she went on to work for our customer Herman Miller. And then went to work for a hospital, major hospital. Now is back running the welfare to career program at uh, at the Source, which is a a program that we helped to uh, to found, um, mm. which is basically inspiring our you know helping our and supporting our, uh, employees that work for us and now I think it's 20 other organizations in the communities. And so I like to think of those folks as being. Uh, uh, graduates of Cascade, they've they've mm -hmm. uh, they've cut their teeth there. We we, we helped. Uh, they did a great job for us, and we did some great work in helping them. And uh, we celebrate their their growth uh, together. So it's um, it's a matter of uh, aligning interests and uh, supporting each other. Secondly, we're going to talk through a approach to business that I'm going to call the Keller approach, but it is quite unique when you think about the landscape of corporate America and the various tendencies that we may have as a capitalistic nation. But without getting too political, I do want and am excited to share Keller's approach to business and how he seeks to serve communities and people instead of serving himself and simply the bottom line that is comprised of profit to the business and what business can expect to solve and affect in society in a more general way. So excited for him to break down his approach and for you to hear how he decides to approach business. If we're truly going to have, I mean, the, the fact is that we have a capitalistic system now that is, uh, has resulted in tremendous disparities. Yes. And, and the, these disparities can't continue. I mean, this, you know, half of the Americans live uh, basically paycheck to paycheck. They have uh, their, their, they're basically in, uh, kind of technically insolvent. They couldn't. They don't have four hundred dollars in the bank. They couldn't raise two thousand dollars in thirty days if they had to. Mm. And it's um, it, it's uh, it, 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 the, the, this this notion that uh, you know a rising tide floats all boats just doesn't work. Uh, it hasn't worked. Uh, we've we've had this experiment going on since the fifties, where that basically was the promise. Uh, following the Second World War and there tremendous expansion of our economy during the 50s when basically the, the United States was the was a roaring economy because of its uh, well, the rest of the world was on its on its heels trying to re just repair the damage that was done to their, their societies and we were uh, we were the only uh, Western uh, democracy that was really doing anything of any size and the, and the, the whole promise was you know uh, uh, if we just grow our economy, everybody's going to be just fine. And, and it started out that way, but it hasn't, it hasn't really developed. 
if you take all of philanthropy in the world, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what the gross domestic product is of all the, you know, the businesses are in the world. Mm. And um, it's in uh, the same with government. It's, it's still just a, a, a fraction of what uh, of the of the the power and the and the, the muscle that business has. And the notion that we have this. Uh, you know, businesses create this little pile of junk, which then the the, the governments and the and the nonprofits go to work on to solve or, or to to fix. That just is just is a crazy notion. I mean, we we just just got to stop making the pile of junk in the first place. Yeah. And um, that's uh, that that you can find that little pile of junk in many different ways. You can do it. You can talk about human misery, or you can talk about pollution. You can talk about uh, uh, all the uh, there's, a, there's a, a concept where people talk about the, all the um, uh, the the costs that are not uh, put into our our products, um, and and those are are things like uh, you know air pollution. Uh, it, it's it's free to pollute, uh, but uh, it causes uh, costs elsewhere in society. Mm. And uh, if we were to uh, have all of those costs uh, put into our pricing of our products, we wouldn't pollute, and uh, we would be uh, we would not have those secondary costs in society. So it's a, it's just an example of of how a business can, in fact, uh, work um, without these without these uh, additional costs being put on society. We just have to figure out how to do that. How you can do that voluntarily, or you can do it with regulation. Um, there was an article. I don't know if you ran across it on Inc. Magazine. That the title of it was "Regulate Me." I never said that, but that was the <laughs> title of, of the article, and yeah, they could get that from what I was saying. But that uh, 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 you know, it, it's it's okay to regulate because we need regulation in order for us for the playing ground to be level. That's why people are starting to think, well, maybe a minimum wage of $15 an hour makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if everybody pays the same thing, then, then we're going to have a level playing field. Uh, it's mm -hmm. when, we can, when we can exploit. And the, so you have this, this concept that, uh, um, you know, the, oh, let me think about that. What do you call it? The, do we call it the prisoner's dilemma or do we call that the, um, Hmm. Um, where you have defectors, basically. Yeah. Uh, the idea that if, if everybody, uh, it, 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 it's, the, uh, it's a tragedy of the commons. So that if, um, if everybody is uh, uh, relying on a common grazing area and, and uh, uh, they all agree that uh, as long as they just have so many cows on that grazing area, they'll be fine. But then one farmer puts one more cow on it, and uh, then another farmer puts another two cows on it, and pretty soon you've got a collapse of the grazing area because everybody has kind of been trying to uh, get one more cow uh, mm. in that grazing area. And and the uh, that's the, the tragedy of the commons is that we've got just so much commons to deal with, and if we uh, continue to uh, just... Uh, uh, Take and take and take from that area. We'll be, we'll have nothing, basically nothing left. Mm. And the, we're not on the edge of a precipice right now, but 
the certainly are seeing the results of what we've done, and if we don't change, uh, we're going to the, the rate of change is happening so much faster today than it was even 10 years ago that uh, things can happen so much faster than we think. As I'm going through and making these voiceovers for you all, re-listening to this interview with Fred, I am just astounded with his perspective on business, and I'm super, super excited to have him as a part of this uh, podcast. Um, I wanted to insert here a little bit of a background on Fred, uh, his background with his father and the entrepreneurial spirit that is obviously evident in the way that he does business and a little bit unique in the corporate America today, as I mentioned earlier, but very excited for you to learn a little bit more about him in the next minute or so. And also realizing I'm probably going to end up splitting this up into three parts because uh, there's so much to digest, but hope you've enjoyed it so far. And here's a little background on Fred. I was born and raised in Grand Rapids. Um, Went to high school here, went to college at Cornell University, and uh, undergraduate degree in uh, material science and engineering. Spent six years uh, at Pratt & Whitney Aircraft as a metallurgist, and uh, went to night school there at the started at the University of um, of uh, Hartford, and uh, then went to uh, a night school that that uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic. In, it opened up in uh, in business, and they had a what they called a master's in business management uh, at the time. That was not an MBA per se, but uh, same sort of subjects. Hmm. And uh, got uh, graduated in there in '72, uh, and um, moved the same year to Michigan. My father was in the tool and die business, and I set up shop next to him as a as a manufacturing arm of of that business. And uh, started the business uh, in '73, and I've been growing it ever since. Yeah, I figured it would be good to kind of take a big leap backwards here, look at the inception. Um, I know you were—you said you were working at Pratt and Whitney, um, and I think you told your father at one point that you were number 87 in line for a promotion. Um, sounds like a uh, a rough guess at the time. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe everything you hear, but <laughs> or read. Yeah. But uh, so, um, what what kind of led you to that that initial step and in stepping out on your own? You know, I grew up in a rather entrepreneurial environment. My father was always in business for himself to speak of. I mean, he he right after the Second World War, he opened up a manufacturing business and grew it to about 400 employees in about 10 years and sold it to a larger company and and uh, became their their uh, sales manager and then uh, I didn't like work doing that so he became a partner in a in a uh, aluminum foundry and then he uh, didn't uh, his, his partner is not pulling his weight so much so he decided to uh, actually buy one of his clients who was uh, absolutely bankrupt at the time in 1965, roughly. And uh, I happened to work for the company, the tool and die company, be as a, an apprentice in the summer before he bought it. I worked for him the summer after he bought it. And that's where I coined the phrase uh, that my father and I, 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 
I wouldn't want to work for my father. He wouldn't want to work for me. <laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, then uh, I went to school uh, and I graduated from school and, and started Pratt and Whitney. And uh, so I just you know I just kind of grew up in that environment of of, uh, of my father always doing his own thing, and I I kind of enjoyed the, that prospect, and I certainly wanted to, had that in mind when I was getting my masters in business and uh mm. when the opportunity to actually after the war uh the the draft finally wound down uh about that time and i was able to uh make sure that i wasn't going to necessarily be drafted mm. i had uh, a wife and a child at that point in time so i was not anxious to be uh shipped off to nam yeah and uh yeah, I uh, enjoyed the opportunity of coming back to to uh, the, the Grand Rapids area. My, I, I learned later as a parent that uh, your uh, parents uh, enjoy having kids, your own kids around. So that was a, a, maybe a, a reason for them to encourage me to come back. Hmm. But uh, my dad gave me a little loan and introduced me to the banks and that was it. The rest is history. <laughs> yep. I think it's worth noting that the uh, tool and die business he bought, he bought for $1, right? <laughs> exactly. And, That's crazy. Uh, but that was because it was totally underwater. And mm. back in those days, out of pride, he didn't take it through bankruptcy. He simply, uh, uh, you know, paid the suppliers and paid the uh, everybody what they needed to be paid. And, uh, managed to increase prices and get the right business in there. The, the guy was a bad businessman. Mm, wow. He took it over from, but he nevertheless, he, he paid him a pension and uh, was able to turn the business around. So wow. that was a good, he knew how to make, he knew how to make a business work. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Thanks again for tuning in today, everyone. To keep up with our series, make sure you go and subscribe to the QAD Customer Podcast. For those of you kind enough to also leave a review of our podcast, I will be sending out a series of $25 Amazon gift cards. So make sure you head over to whatever platform you consume podcasts and leave a review. Thank you all. Until next time.